0: It's never been easier to get on the water with Academy Sports and Outdoors. Stop by your local Academy store or online at academy.com today and shop fishing's top brands like Luz, Zepco, Abu Garcia, Shimano, and more. All at prices you'll love. Find the latest gear for making your next big catch with all new 2021 fishing combos rods, reels, and more. And with Academy's wide selection of gear, great brands, and highly competitive prices, find everything you need to have more fun out there.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. In this episode, we are talking Cobia, south of Baldhead. Cobia, south of Baldhead. We're going to talk with Captain Boomer Montgomery of Salt Fever Guide Service out of Ocean Isle Beach. We're going to talk about areas of attack we're going to talk about boat tactics and we're going to talk about bait tactics again that's cobia south of baldhead my name is gary hurley gary hurley of fisherman's post Fisherman's Post that's been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in this latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this podcast series we will reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us you know their thoughts their insights their knowledge to help you the audience catch more fish more often but what we'd like to say is the true goal is beyond more fish more often we're also just trying to give you confidence we're trying to give you get you excited just to get out on the water to take family and friends and to spend more time more often on the water beyond the fish i am joined in this episode just i am with every episode with billy thorpe of Copilot Studio. Copilot Studio is a podcast studio offering podcast services for hire. Billy, that's a mouthful. Welcome, man. Welcome back.
0: What's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. It's been a, it's been a minute.
1: It's been a minute, man. And I am excited to talk fishing. I know it's going to be. I'm excited to go fishing, but yeah,
0: but but not with you because I never get invited. But whatever, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm not going to be sad about uh-huh. that. Let's take a look at our sponsors. We got Marine Warehouse Center and uh, got a new video for you guys if you're watching. So check this out. All right. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in
2: Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for pair custom boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock, and build times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wells. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country.
1: Man, that end uh, music that Marine Warehouse Center has with the new video is getting me pumped up. <laughs> I know. It gets you jacked. Like, let's go. I mean, let's I, go like, fish! I like
0: our theme song, but I got to say, man. Well, I have to change it. I have to call your call your guy back who did a wonderful job on the first one and say, we
1: need to I need more adrenaline. Up, dude. I need
0: more adrenaline. I'm, like, here's the test. If I want to punch a hole in the wall, then you've done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> awesome man! Let's take a look at a photo. You want to? I do want to. Look it's at been a photo. so long. Here we have Dale Hall with an overslot redfish that fell for a pogie while fishing a jetty in the new, in the little river inlet. I mean, that is a good looking fish, dude. I I love to see uh when somebody hugs a redfish. Good looking fish.
1: We have a new announcement we're making, and I'm gonna key the graphic. That's right. Buy me a coffee. So, hey, you guys have been so kind. You've been very supportive with the Fisherman's Post podcast. We love what we do. I think you can tell we love what we do, and we're absolutely going to continue to do it. And we've set up this Buy Me a Coffee, which allows you guys, if you wish, to show some appreciation, some support. Um, We have abandoned Billy's Hope for a boat. We tried out the Buy Me a Boat graphic, and we got nothing. And so we're hoping that Buy Me a Coffee might might get you to – Throw some cash at the podcast guy's way. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to save up my coffee cards and trade them for a boat. So you're not gonna drink any coffee. You're gonna no, hold uh,
0: it. I'm gonna wait. I'm a millennial, dude. I I complain I don't have any money, but then I drink eight dollar cups of coffee. It's what we do. <laughs> don't worry. What you do.
1: <laughs> well, nothing has changed with Billy's best takeaway. So here at the end, Billy, when we when I'm finished All talking right. with Boomer about cobia, and people love cobia. Um, When I'm done, I want to hear Billy's best takeaway from Boomer's Info. All right. I'm excited, man. All right. Well, let's bring on the guest. Hello, Captain Boomer Montgomery, Salt Fever Guide Service out at Ocean Isle Beach. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: What's happening, guys? Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, man. As I was just saying, I think people don't equate Cobia to South of Bald Head. I think they think of it more of Oregon Inlet, Hatteras, or even Cape Lookout. And so I am excited that we're— Pitching this topic, cobia south of Bald Head, and as I sort of said in the show setup, we got areas of attack, boat tactics, bait tactics. But as is tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, you as our guest have two questions to get through before we can start the main event. Are you ready, Boomer, for your two questions? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Question number one, pretty standard. Why should we keep watching? Why should we keep listening? Why should we listen to what you have to say about a cobia?
2: Um, yeah, that's really how I got my start. I know uh, I, I spent an awful lot of time in a golf stream these days, but, um, you know, I spent seven or eight years in a under 30 foot center console within 30 miles of shore. And that's really where I, I built my, the base of my book of my client book at this point. So, um, these days I do find myself in the Gulf stream an awful lot more, but, um, you know, playing that nearshore game is something I did for an awful long time.
1: And that qualifies. The editorial staff has signaled that we can proceed. Question number two, and as is <laughs> tradition, yeah, right. As is tradition is a non-fishing related question, um, I base this question off of a name play, off of your name. So, Boomer Montgomery, can you give me another famous person who's either named or nicknamed Boomer?
2: Oh, that's easy. I'm uh, I'm born and raised Cincinnati boy, uh-huh. Boomer Esiason, man.
1: Right, on. that was I, t- I. tell you what, I had to Google it. I am familiar with Boomer size and I'm not a Cincinnati boy. And then the other one, I had an ESPN sports caster whose nickname Boomer would be Chris Berman.
2: Oh man, I can see his face. I can't. He put me on the spot. I can't remember his name, Chris Berman. Man, I had again. There you go, If, if
1: I were put on the spot, I wouldn't have come up with it either.
2: Uh, you could. I could have. T- I could have told you his nickname before. That was back, 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 back.
1: <laughs> man, all right. Well, we're not, we're going to transition from sports and I like how you did, you know, so instead of just, a just saying, we're going to talk about where I like your wording areas of attack. So let's start there. Boomer. how about what, what do we got for areas of attack Cobia below bald head?
2: So, um, you know, I think things really start when you start when you're, when you're talking the topic of Cobia, I think you really start having the conversation in, in that, you know, second week of April kind of time frame. um, uh-huh they really start to show up and i would say that you know the 35 to 40 mile line you know 85 foot of water uh you're talking about live bottom areas wrecks rock piles um any place that will hold fish you know they're going to be there um and that would transition into probably the second week of may they start on those near shore wrecks that most people know about you're talking about you know the live bottom at the 90s or um you know the jungle uh they really start to push in on the sherman at seven mile line um even the three mile you'll find them at the at the one mile buoys you'll find around around the jetties um and, and that really from the second week of may you know pretty much through june um, so there's, there's lots of different games to play. There's, there's different tactics to, to apply in the deeper water versus the nearshore stuff. And, um, you know, I think if, if you're going to attack them, um, you really want to be proficient in both, you know, um, that's a, that's a, you know, two, three month weather window right there to, or, uh, a time frame to be able to target them. So you take advantage of all the opportunity that you can,
1: man. So I am not. <laughs> Overly versed in, I mean, I love cobia fishing, but in their habits. So are these fish moving from, more moving from offshore to inshore? Or I guess I just assume they were moving, you know, like south to north or north to south, depending. But it's more of an inshore migration?
2: Well, I think they're certainly moving up and down the coast, you know. Um, They are a migratory species um Mm -hmm. but i think that that they're going to hang where the bait is like everything else does you know so uh as the bait moves in closer to the beach those fish are going to follow same same thing that that early summertime late spring early summertime king mackerel bite that you always find on the beach that happens for about three weeks um that's about the same time that those cobias are going to move in
1: so i'm going (laughs) to ask you to speculate just because i'm curious here too so we're talking about south of Bald Head and you know, following the bait and hitting the deeper water and then moving in. So, And maybe you're not speculating. Maybe you have firsthand knowledge. So off the other coast, like Wrightsville, like Lookout, like even Hatteras, so you think they're out there further and then they just get popular when they're along the beach and people can see them. But you think they're following a similar path up and down the coast, the deeper water, and then slowly moving inland?
2: Yeah, you know, I've never targeted them above the shoal. Um, up on that east side of the shoal, um, I, I, personally have not. But I would assume that's probably, you know, consistent up there as well. Um, that would be a speculation, but I, I would say that would probably hold true.
1: Well, man, how do you want to? How do you want to start? You want to talk about the? I guess the earlier fish in mid-April that are out in deeper water. Is that where we're going to start our talk about how to put one in the boat?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you you mentioned that you like cobia. They're fun. They're cool. But um, targeting targeting them is something that not a lot of people really do. I think most people, when you talk about cobias, it's a bycatch thing for them. Um, they're live bait king mackerel fishing, uh, and and or they're or they're out bottom fishing. And while they're bringing things up off the bottom and they're creating activity, those fish get curious and come to the boat, and and they get lucky and, and get the hook one. So um, I, I, there is absolutely a way that you can leave the dock prepared to target cobia um, and if you wanted to start in the offshore conversation in that early April um, you know personally you can you can kind of split the whole thing into two different like what kind of bait are you taking how do you want to do this I really like to leave the dock and I mean there's really no reason to not leave with both so um, Hayden, pinfish. Um, you know, you can certainly talk about eels. Lots of people talk about using live eels for cobias. Um, I've done it. I don't have very great access to eels. Um, so maybe for me personally, that's why I find them more work than they're probably worth. Um, I think if you get in the right place and you've got a, a decent bait, um, you're going to entice a bite. I don't think you necessarily need an eel. Um, so, uh, having jigs having you know maybe a couple pieces of whole squid um and having some menhaden or some pinfish is is really how i would leave the dock as well as uh having having a box of chum
1: and so we're talking about having live menhaden live pinfish i'm guessing
2: yep live both um you know really i'll just i'll just for for instead of trying to walk through this in pieces i'll just i'll just let it all go and and give you the whole the whole plan of attack that i have when i go uh when i go offshore early spring um you're gonna find me in probably 75 to 90 foot of water Um, it could be an artificial reef areas like uh, the ar-465 the bill perry the um, bp-25 or even places like the atlantic ledge um I'm going to probably, depending on the day, um, you know, if you find yourself in a wind against the tide situation, um, I I like to set up, um, and and essentially what you're doing is trying to bring these fish to you. Um, you're really going to chum ultimately, um, excuse me. So, uh. Having the opportunity to set the boat up on anchor and 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 have chum go either over the top of a wreck or over the top of an artificial reef area or over the top of your live bottom is what's going to bring that activity and that life to you. Um, I I think that a couple of people make some mistakes in boat positioning and they get a little bit too close uh, and they set up right on top of of what they're trying to fish. I like to be You know a couple hundred yards up current from them and and let that stuff float down and bring those fish to you um i i feel like i have a uh a better production that way um when activity starts happening when you start getting amber jacks around the boat and things like that um you know you need to start being prepared um i will uh I have, you know, like a, like a three ounce jig. I really like to have scent on a jig. So when I put a tail on a jig, I'm probably going to use Berkeley golf, but things like Procure, all that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, you can get, scent, you can even, um, you can even use like a strip bait and put it on the hook. Um, I've seen so many times I would make casts and cobias would follow a jig and they'd get kind of up behind it and sniff it, but not commit to a bite. And I really think that's, I've had better luck having things that, that have scent. Um, if I'm doing this and I'm in an area where I know there's amberjacks I really won't put out what I would consider a cobia spread um and to say the word spread while you're on anchor is probably counterintuitive for a lot of people but um you know cobia's are notorious for feeding on the bottom all the way to the surface and so that being said um I like to cover as many different water columns as I can. So if I'm in an area where I don't feel like there's gonna be a ton of predation, um, for example, like live bottom, so maybe say like uh, the Atlantic ledge, I'll float a couple balloons and I'll put uh, essentially like a grouper rig and I'll put one straight down off the boat, uh, off the port side and, uh, and fish the middle of the water column. And then off the opposite side of the boat, I'll put another grouper rig, all the way down, maybe like five feet off the bottom. So you're you're really fishing sea floor, middle of the water column, and surface uh, all at the same time while you're on anchor.
1: Man, I love I love that idea. I love that concept. So, and people love specifics. So I'm going to ask you to say, all right, tell me what are tell me what you're floating on the two balloons. Tell me what's in the middle of the water column. Tell me what's at the bottom. Just for starters, just to until you figure out what you might want to double down on.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, mixed baits is definitely a great way to start. Um, you know, if you can have minnow and you can have pinfish at the same time, uh, you know, I like I like to I like to put the pinfish and I like to put the minnow in places where they shouldn't be. I love putting a pinfish on a surface um, underneath a balloon. and i I love putting the menhadens in the middle of the water column and and down near the bottom um i don't know why it's just it's a thing that i do um no steel in this situation you know all my leaders are going to be between i would say between 30 and 50 pounds of fluorocarbon um and i i fish almost exclusively a six odd circle hook um i will tell you that uh, i get kind of ocd about uh, about how I hook my baits. Um, if you find yourself in in a situation where uh, you know drifting versus anchoring, when to do which one? Um, you know, wind against the tide makes it makes an anchor a challenge because when you're trying to when you're trying to get in in a perfect world, you set your anchor and your boat sits behind your anchor and you're sitting right up sure you're trying to fish. Right. And, and you find yourself in a situation where you got and you set the anchor and all of a sudden uh, the currents pulling it up your anchor line and it's going in the opposite direction. The fish are going to come from the other side of the boat. You know, you're going to be at the transom with your baits out and the, the currents going to pull them back towards you and go underneath. And it really doesn't it doesn't bode well for for an anchor situation. So on a day like that, I would drift when I'm drifting. I always nose hook my baits. Um, when I'm on anchor and I'm in a static position, I always run my hooks, uh, through the belly of the bait towards the tail, like over the top of, of the anal fin. And I do that specifically. Um, you know, anybody who's spent time, whether you're grouper fishing or Cobia fishing or whatever you're doing, if, if you're using a live bait and a circle hook, um, you've probably found yourself in a situation where a fish ate a bait, you felt the bite happen and you came tight and the circle hook never buttoned up, and you wind the bait all the way back in, and you find that the hook has actually doubled back into the bait. So the predator fish, whatever you were trying to target, never got the hook. Um, and I think that a lot of that, in my opinion, and, and it's worked well for me, is because hook location in the bait uh, is is done
1: incorrectly. So what so- is it, I guess, to go back, and I, I mean, I love the question why, and I think the viewers do too, so go into more why that hook helps you out on the anchor and then why you hook it differently on the drift. What about the drift causes, motivates you to use a different hook set?
2: Yeah, sure. So I um, actually uh, brought a little representation here because I anticipated this question and I've had it before and other other times when I've, when I've spoke. Um, so all I got here is, a, and I don't know if you can see it very well or not, but you know, I just oversized everything. I got a big 200 pound leader here on a big 14 knot circle hook, just so you could see it. And, um, so if you would, if you would imagine this big swim jig as your bait, right? All right. If I nose hook this bait and I pin it like this, you can see how open and clean and you have the whole gap of the hook. So as you're moving with a boat, It's pulling the bait forward like this and your hook stays in an open presentation area where if that thing gets eaten, he's swallowing the whole thing. If you sit yourself up on anchor and you nose hook a bait, your lead is going to sink to the bottom. And if I point this right at the camera, if the lead is here sitting on the bottom and that bait swims away from the lead, what happens is that bait itself ends up rolling itself inside the gap of the hook. So if that bait gets eaten at that point, that circle hook is actually going back, double back into the bait and not into the fish. It comes right out.
1: And that makes complete sense. And I think that's one of the better uh, demonstrations we've seen versus someone holding up a bait and it's not even on the camera. I mean, that was as effective as a demonstration as we get, man. I appreciate it. So,
2: yeah, but it's no, it's not my first time uh, explaining that.
1: Right on. So, so drifting versus anchor, and so I believe you know you've gone into the detail. I mean, maybe not exhaustive detail about like the anchor and setting out the spreads. And I love the concept of working the different water column and having it. And so, and then even the insight about not being right on top of the structure, but being a hundred yards or maybe even a couple hundred yards off, so that the chum slick you know has time to work to actually bring them in. So, how are you? how are you approaching the drift? Is it just keeping going over the same pass or, you know, what insights can you give yeah. us to help make that work?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things, um, you know, when you, when it comes to, when it comes to fishing structure, um, whether you're group of fishing or whether you're Cobra, fishing and specifically talking about Kobe fishing today. Um, it's not uncommon for me to drop the anchor, put a chum slick out, put a couple of baits out, see where the current's going, see where the drift's going, not liking it, setting up again, immediately pulling everything up. I'll reset sometimes two, three times before I'm like happy with where I am. And what I'm looking for is where the chum's going, how the baits are presenting. And if I can't get it the way I want it to look spaced out in the different water columns and all that kind of stuff, then I'll go to a drift. And when you go to the drift, what you're looking to do for me personally is, um, you know i i really like to set it up in a beam drift so uh for for somebody who doesn't know specifically what that means if you take the boat and you put it side to into the swell and then you turn your motors into the swell or into the tide it'll hold you pretty well perpendicular to this the swell and the tide and which way you're going and so i'll try and set up to where the boat drifts then sideways down the ledge or across the top of the wreck. And then I'll put the chum bag in the middle of the boat in the center of the beam. And I'll have baits up high off the bow and then in the middle of the water column in the center of the boat. And then at the back of the transom, you know, down deep. And so I'll fish my three different elevations and I'll spread them out the length of the boat, if that makes sense.
1: And all that's happening on the back current side of the boat, not the direction the boat's moving.
2: Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Yeah, uh, you'll you'll notice it for people that are trying to set this up and do it for the first time. If you're putting the bait out of the wrong side of the boat, the second that thing goes in the water, the line's going to go underneath the boat. Wind it back in. Go to the opposite side of the boat and set your whole spread up off of the down drift side of the boat.
1: Any trouble with that bottom bait and the drifting mood, like keeping it where it needs to be, not banging around, like right on the bottom, touching the bottom, right off the bottom?
2: Yeah. uh, I mean, get creative. I'm going to tell you that there are some days that uh, there's a significant current and the drift is pretty quick. And I'm using, you know, 24 ounces of lead to keep a bait down. Uh, There's other days where we start engaging an area and we see the fish from the middle of the water column up to the surface and we're not getting anything but You know sharks or um smaller fish down on the bottom are beating up your bottom baits and we end up fishing um you know much lighter lead sometimes i'm using sometimes i'm using like a a one or a two ounce lead out there just to get it down 20 feet 25 feet you don't have to you don't have to necessarily fish those all the way to the bottom bouncing a rocks while you're drifting you know if you're getting yourself hung up then it's counterproductive you're not fishing right so if your bottom bait's too deep or you feel like you got a little bit too much lead on it and you've got it hung up a couple of times or or you're getting you know beat up down there by little fish that you're not trying to target and you don't want to continue to waste your bait on the bottom you know raise the elevation up.
1: and so you talked about jigs and, but it was right in the middle of a lot of good information. I think about a, about setting out a set and I wanted to circle back around and I want to make sure I understand so that everyone understands. So when you're anchoring or drifting is the whole spread bait fishing and then you have a jig on hand to play with or are jigs part of your spread when you're anchoring and drifting. And when we're talking jigs, are we talking bucktails or are we talking something else?
2: Uh, all good questions. I'll try and remember each one of them hit a wall um <laughs> so when i'm talking jigs i'm talking butt tails. um i almost religiously use butt tails. when i fish in the early season and i'm in that 80 foot of water you know i'm usually going to run a like a five ounce head um i just like to be able to get the bait down a little bit deeper a little bit faster um i think that fishing those heavier jigs in the shallower water in that 50 foot you know or even you know 10 15 feet when you're in on the beach and you're chasing them on bait balls um i think that that heavier jig is kind of counterproductive and i shrink down to like a three ounce when i'm fishing in shallower water um the most important thing about when, when picking a cobia jig for me um is is really about the hook um i i'm not here to uh advocate for any brand you know nobody's paying me to say this but i fish almost exclusively the uh the 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 3x um spros um the spro bucktail jigs they got that offshore series that they came out with a couple of years ago and they really beefed up the hook in it and that's just the one i use i know guys that get them custom tied they buy you know all kinds of different brands um for me With the bony structure of the face of a cobia, you got to have a solid hook. I mean, they'll roll it and twist it and break it. I mean, when they roll and twist and they open their mouths and they shake at you, if 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 that bait rolls in their mouth when they close their mouth back down, I mean, if you don't have a thick wire on that hook, they'll bust it for
1: sure. And when you're talking bait on the bucktail, you're talking about a soft plastic bait with scent, or you're talking about no. I'll actually hook a pinfish or a menhaden to a bucktail and drop that down.
2: So I don't, I don't, I've, I don't know that I've ever done that. Um, okay. But put a live bait uh, on a bucktail. Me personally, um, if I'm fishing a jig, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a plastic on it. Um, and if I don't have a plastic that's impregnated with scent, then I'm gonna put scent on it, like Procure, for example. Um, but I almost always, you know, fish a gulp just because they're easy. They already have scent in them. Um, as far as fishing that in the spread, um, on, I, I, I don't, I don't fish a jig in the spread when I'm on anchor. I have one loaded with a tail on it, ready to go for that curious fish that swims all the way up to the back of the boat and doesn't eat any of your baits. Um, when I'm on a drift, uh, once you set all your lines you know other than other than monitoring them and paying attention to them um you know it's a little bit like catfishing you know you're just kind of waiting on a bite or it's a little bit like trolling you're just waiting on a bite and, and i'm an antsy guy and i like to do stuff so um i actually will f- i'll go to the bow of the boat where i'm fishing my my lines that are you know on the surface a balloon line i'll fish right next to that balloon line with a jig and what i'll do is i'll drop it all the way down to the bottom and i make long slow big poles with it so i just whoop, whip it up real high and then that thing's going to cascade back down in the water and i'll make one crank down and i'll wham so that what that jig's doing is and it's it's making an abrupt run up and then as it cascades down it's got the tail behind it that's swirling down and it and that's when i talk about swimming a jig you're looking for that you know, kind of like shark fin profile where it's up and down. And I'll fish that thing anywhere between, you know, 10 foot off the bottom to right in the middle of the water column. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been bit on the jig when I have five beautiful live baits out.
1: Um, I believe you. I mean, bucktails and cobia are synonymous. And, I mean, I I like the idea. I guess that works pretty well for clients on the boat too to give them something to do i mean some people love waiting for a bite but some people like to be doing something and i guess that's an option that as you say produces as well it's not just busy work
2: yeah absolutely and you can you know you did ask about putting bait on the hook on those jigs i'm not saying it's not doable and i'm not saying that it won't work uh i just my life baits are a premium for me and when we go out there i want to use them as hook baits um bonita strips work great um you can even even though they're soft, if you're gonna fish the jig like slower and more delicate, you can put a whole squid on the back of that jig. I will tell you that if you get it anywhere near the bottom, it's gonna get hammered by little stuff. Um, but if you swim that thing in the middle of the water column, a big, hunk of, a big hunk of squid on the back of that jig will work just fine.
1: Are you getting, uh, are the amberjacks bothering your live baits?
2: Yeah, you get you get amberjacks, you get uh, you get you know sharpnose dog sharks. Um, you'll get all that kind of stuff, uh, particularly when you're set up on anchor. You know, um, if you're over an area that is an artificial reef, almost always here there's going to have amberjacks on it. And if you put a chum slick out, they're going to show up. In a situation like that, I'll pull all my live baits in, and I'll sit there in the boat. Uh, and throw them some freebies and I'll just feed the jacks for 15 or 20 minutes or sometimes 30 minutes. Um, You know, cobias are kind of like, I don't know. They're like a raccoon. Maybe they're just opportunistic feeders. They're just curious if there's any activity, if there's any action going on, if there's anything happening and there's one around, they'll come check it out. And I've picked hundreds of cobias out of a school of jacks with a jig. If you throw, if you get them keyed in on the live baits, um, and a live bait hits the surface, the amberjack is going to get it before the cobia is every single time. But if you sat there and pitched a couple of freebies to a school of amberjacks and they're keyed in on on eating a pinfish or eating a minhaden, and and a cobia shows up, if you take a jig and flip it out there, it's it's actually kind of interesting to watch. You know the 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 match the hatch mentality. You'll watch the amberjack and he'll turn and look at it because he'll hear it hit the water, and he'll notice immediately that it's not what he's been eating since he's been here, and that little bit of hesitation gives that cobia the opportunity to slam it.
1: Man, I'm I'm excited to see this in action right now, I and mean, this is great information. Man, I'm I, I love what we're talking about, and in, in my mind, we've been talking about and and this is how it goes like we we're going to start this conversation with the deeper water 75 to 90 feet i think is what you said and we're i mean it's almost like the whole show how does any We're. i'm not even going to go to the beach yet if we're going to go to the beach but if we're coming in and fishing some of the less deep water you know more i guess in your 50 35 is anything we say change like how does your approach change your theories your technique
2: um I think uh, I get way more aggressive with, um, with my chum uh, in the shallower water. Um, I feel like the fish get a lot more pressure. Uh, I think that if you have the opportunity to use a chum gun uh, and catch a whole pile of fresh menhaden that morning, um, and your chum and your bait is just a little fresher and you just smell just a little bit better than the guy down the road a couple miles, um, you know, I think that pays off. Um, you know, not to endorse brands, but you know, I, I, like to, I like to lower my profile when I get a little closer. I think that, you know, when you're offshore in that deeper water, when you find a Cobia, most of the time they get a gaff. Um, but when you, when you get inside that 15 mile line, you know, a lot of those fish get picked through, and and you end up getting a fair amount of close close to keeper size fish to the boat. Uh, and for those reasons, I think they're a little bit more pressured as well. And I like to shrink down on leader size. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm I'm usually in between you know 40 and 50, maybe 60 pound leader uh, when I'm when I'm further offshore. But uh, I really like I really like using like a gold label seaguar. Uh, it's the smallest profile you can find um and i really like that stuff i feel like it makes a difference um i don't necessarily drop down any hook size you know i think a six odd is is pretty universal for that species it works really well um i think those are my those are probably the the biggest things that i start paying attention to when i come closer is, is really shrinking down the profile um you know, and not being afraid to put a spread out, uh, you, you know, you're really not going to get amberjacks here inside that 15 mile line very often. Um, you know, you're more likely to to get cut off by a king mackerel or, or you know, the smaller sharks. Um, and the really aggressive chumming in closer uh, ultimately is to, to try and get the tiger sharks to come to the boat if there's any around, because um, they always, always, always have fish with them.
1: And interesting. I tell you what, we are, I mean, I, we could keep on and keep on, but I, we're close to the end, but I, I know we need to talk at least a little bit, you know, give us some quick tips about targeting bait pods, you know, bait right off the beach when you're, when you're chasing those.
2: Yeah, again, um, you know, I like that smaller leader, uh, as far as, you know, fishing like a Carolina rig, when you're trying to do it, I, I really try and keep my baits off, off the bottom when you're in 15, 20, 30, you know, 15 or 20 feet of water or sometimes even less where those bait balls are. Um, I just like a bait on a circle hook. Um, if I do anything, it's like a, you know, a three quarter ounce lead, just enough to kind of slow that thing down a little bit. Um, but I really like to uh, I really like to not blind cast in there with with uh, with my live baits. If I'm going to blind cast, I'm throwing jigs in. Um, you know, y- you'll, you'll see them. They're always when they're around. You know, they're super dark. They're you know so brown. And uh, when they're when they're up around those bait balls, they're swimming around the perimeters of them. And 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 you shouldn't have a hard time uh, presenting a bait to them. If I had to give you a piece of advice. You know, I, I wouldn't throw I wouldn't throw the bait on top of the cobia's head, and I wouldn't throw the bait inside the middle of the school. I'd actually, if a if a fish is next to a, a ball of bait, and the the ball of baits on the fish's right side, I would actually throw my bait ahead of and to the left of the cobia.
1: And that the reason <laughs> is, I mean, I'm I could guess the answer, but I'm I'm gonna hear let you tell me.
2: Well, when you when you pitch a live bait inside of a big bait ball obviously you know the chances of him seeing it are are slim to none because there's 500 bait fish next to him uh, and he's staring at all of them um, and and the second thing is is you know there's plenty of predators around and, and even though cobias are pretty stout fish and, and once they reach a certain size they really don't have a lot of them um, you know they're still pretty sensitive you can't knock them in the head with something and expect them to eat it they're gonna they're gonna get they're gonna get a little skittish
1: Man, uh, we're, we're basically close to the end of this podcast, but before I say goodbye to anyone, I always like to set up and just say, what, a, anything that you didn't get a chance to say, anything that I didn't set you up with a question to share, you know, and, or any final thoughts for people who say, yeah, man, I'm, I'm South of bald head. I want to target Cobia. This is, this sounds great.
2: Uh, you know, um, we're easy to find, saltfeverguideservice.com, uh, Instagram, Facebook. You got any questions, give me a call. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to a- answer them. You know, I, I don't think, you know, our trade secrets are, are, are that well-kept. I mean, you can go to a lot of different seminars and get a lot of this information online. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm always about good friends on the water. You can't ever have enough of them. So um, give us a shout. Happy to talk to you.
1: And then what a... I know that salt fever is more than Kobe in the springtime. So I'm going to ask you to give me a quick, uh, highlight reel through the calendar. What's, what's some of salt fever's favorite trips through the year?
2: Oh man. Uh, I think, I think my favorite day of the year is May 1st. It's like, it's like a holiday grouper season opens. Mahi are here. Kobe are here. Uh, I, I love fishing in May. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, late February, March right now, we're, we're picking at the big wahoos. We're a pretty comprehensive outfit. We do everything from, from blue water trolling to black to backwater trout and flounder and redfish. So, um, watching the cycle through the year, we, we stay on on most of the fish pretty much all season long. So, um, uh, we're year round for sure. Uh, and, and if you're ever interested in getting offshore, let us know.
1: And you're offshore near shore and you do some inshore boats too. Yes, sir. Man, uh, Boomer, I appreciate it, man. This has been a great conversation. I knew I was excited to talk about Cobia south of the shoals or south of Bald Head. And uh, you delivered, man. I appreciate it. I'm sure our viewers' audience is gonna appreciate it too. Thank you so much.
2: Gary, thanks for having me, bud.
1: Yeah, man. We'll talk again. Sounds good. Billy. What's up, Gary? Kobe, I mean, if you're not excited to go catch a cobra. I mean, then I don't. Then you weren't paying attention,
0: <laughs> dude. Yeah, there's a lot of good takeaways in All this episode.
1: So Billy's best takeaway, not a lot. I want mm. Billy's best takeaway.
0: Uh, dude, my favorite, my favorite thing that he said was like tricking those amberjacks. Throw. <laughs> I thought that's pretty creative. Like stare, feed them something, and then throw something else to the uh, cobia. Was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, man. I think I was listening. Like, man, those amberjacks aren't going to get full. You're not going to. F- You're not going to satiate them. And then he's like, well, then you throw something different. And they they hesitate. I'm like, "Now that makes sense.
0: I guess if I was in a crowd and everybody's eating a burger, somebody walked up with a fish sandwich. I'm like, I'm going to keep eating the burger. We're eating burgers. (laughs) Because we all go to where there's a big line. It must be good. Those burgers must be good. It must be really good. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, Gary. Good episode, man. He was a great guest. Definitely going to have him back on the show. It was awesome. A lot of good information there. What else we got here? Oh, Jiminy Cricket. I don't know, Gary. I think it's it, man. Go buy us a coffee. Go support Marine Warehouse. That's the biggest one.
1: Marine Warehouse. As, as I like to point out, man, those guys, yep, they're selling boats. You know, they'll, they're selling some used boats, new boats, man. They're consignment. They're also service. They work on the fish post boat and their parts, man. Terrell runs a great parts store over there. You know, they've got it all. Marine Warehouse wants your business. They want to be part of the fishing community. And they're making efforts to show you that love.
0: And they have some dope hats. As you can see, I found mine.
1: Yeah, you look good.
0: Thanks, man. It's the hat. It's not, it's not anything else. The hat makes me look good. Yeah, we love those guys. Well, Gary, we'll see you in the next episode, man. Really appreciate it.
1: Next episode.